Hi, I'm Peter Schwing, and welcome to the Stories from the Run podcast and community. This is the show for the everyday runner, all about inspiring and sometimes humorous stories from your fellow runners. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to thank all our supporters for making this podcast possible. If you like what you hear, please slam that subscribe button or sign up on our website, storiesfromtherun.com. You can also join the Facebook community or follow us on Instagram through the links in the show notes. Do you know about the crazy things that go on in a woman's body during a pregnancy? Did you know about this thing called diastasis recti? I surely didn't. Our next guest is a high school teacher, cross-country track coach, and a new mom, and she's going to share a ton of information on how to train during a pregnancy and how to inspire the next generation of runners. This one is for both the men and women out there. We're going to call this one hashtag empowering women, hashtag pay attention men. Let's get to it. State your name and any club affiliation for the record, please. Uh, hey, my name is Ayumi Nagano. Um, I was a former Run for All Women ambassador. I'm still with the group now. I still fully support them and I love them. Um, I'm also a head coach and assistant coach for Millennium Brooklyn High School's cross-country, winter track, and outdoor track team. Oh, fantastic. Hello and welcome. How was your week? Uh, I'm good. I'm exhausted. I'm a teacher and a mom. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so working with... Um, my crazy high school kids all day um, and also coaching after school and then coming home in mom life um, can be kind of hectic, but I love every second of every day. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I can imagine it. they keep you on your feet, literally running around. Yeah, all day. Mm-hmm. Um, in the classroom, I love that they keep me on my toes with the things that they say, um, some of the their reactions. For example, today, one of my students, we were looking at a photo of Trump and he looked a little bit more orange than usual. Um, and one of the kids go, he looks really orange. And then the other kid goes, a cheesy Dorito. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's really refreshing that not one day is ever repeated, mm-hmm. um, whether it is in the classroom, on the track, um, or even with my son. Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic. So how did you get into becoming a track coach? Um, I was first introduced to running when I was 12 years old. One of my middle school uh, best friends at, said, oh, I'm trying out for the cross country team. Do you want to try out with me? And I said yes, but I had no idea what cross country was. Um, and so that was kind of my introduction to cross country was entering into the sport without knowing what it was. Um, oddly enough, I fell in love with running almost immediately. Um, and have really been running ever since. And then a cross-country coaching position opened up my second year teaching at my high school. And um, with coaching, it's one of those positions where um, the position never opens up unless the coach opts to leave, which very rarely ever happens because mm-hmm. a lot of people just fall in love with coaching and stay for years and years. So I knew that even though um, I was a full-time teacher, I was still a grad student, um, that I really want to take the position. So I took it on with kind of an overloaded workload, but mm-hmm. it was worth it. I was 
best decision of my life. And that's great. It's one of those, like, you started young, it sounds. If you were still in grad school, it's like being a young coach. So how do you approach coaching the students? Like, because different ages in people's lives, it's like they respond to coaching in a different way. So how do you feel like, wh- wh- how old are the students? Uh, the team, I coach, um, I teach and coach in high school. So my team members are anywhere from 14 to 17 years old. Mm-hmm. Some of them hit 18 from like January onwards. But yeah, they're right. high school age. And, and between 14 and 18 it is a is a big swing, especially in the teenage years and growing up and everything. So like, you know, what is your approach then? How do you work with them? Um, I think that I grew up in the suburbs. I grew up on Long Island and um, the fitness level and training in New York City is very unique and very different. Um, it's really more so access to gyms for the sprinters to be able to do weightlifting training. Um, just space on the track is really difficult to find, as well as just space even outdoors um, on hills just for cross-country training. So you really have to be very resourceful as a city coach mm-hmm. when it comes to just, um, I guess, access to a location or just the weight room for the training. So um, that I approach it is... I guess number one, the reason why maybe our team, I feel at least, have been has been successful in becoming stronger, faster, and just um, successful, is mainly because we try and make a sport that kind of does feel isolating. Maybe some of the members do feel that they are the only ones. Like all, all the only thing that matters is themselves, because at the end of the day, they're racing against themselves. But I think that we try to focus more on unifying the team. And having find ways for them to connect to each other and feel that they're actually working to support each other rather than just playing for themselves. Mm-hmm. It's an individual sport in that sense that your accomplishments, like you're the only person out there. If 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 you're racing or and it's not like a points race or a team race, it's it's up to you. It, your your success, your failure. It really comes down to you. But coming together as a team and the support and pushing each other and supporting each other has such a valuable effect on the individual. Right, absolutely. And that's where a lot of, I think, our students' inspiration comes from. Um, my assistant coach, but then also, have, I guess I want to say my co-coach and I, we've been coaching together for six years, and we run alongside the kids while we're training with them. Um, and I think that that is something that kind of helps bring positivity and unity to the team. But um, So we have like different morals and um, very kind of strict rules when it comes to, for example, um, just attendance and coming up, arriving to practices on time. Mm-hmm. And we always tell the kids, um, your val- your time isn't more valuable than someone else's. Mm. And so the reason why you guys, it's, it's important for you and it's important for you to arrive on time is because uh, just out of mutual respect for the other individuals, you're trying to show them through your actions your time is also valuable just as much as mine. So we're going to show up on time. We're going to all work equally as hard um, and put in all the effort that we can. And anyone who's giving lesser effort, it's really not fair to say, okay, we are teammates. We are equal because if you're giving less, then technically you're not treating yourself and acting as if you are equal. And that's one thing that we try and really promote on our team is a sense of equality in that way. And that does mean like respecting each other's time and like Mm -hmm. valuing that in some way. And then also work ethic. If we hear about people kind of slacking during a long run and they were caught walking, um, that affects the morale of right. the team and saying, okay, well, if they're allowed to do that, how come I have to work 
like what makes me think or what should inspire me to work as hard as I can if my team members aren't doing that? And so that's something that we always kind of consistently talk about and show as a major value. And we always tell the kids, we don't care how fast you are. We want to see your work. We want to see diligence. We Mm -hmm. want to see sweat. Your work ethic. Um, And exactly. And that goes back to that old saying, it's like timeliness is the courtesy of Kings. Right. Exactly. Um, that's why I, th- I think that um, the kids don't, especially teenagers, don't seem to understand like, oh, what's wrong with me rolling out of bed five minutes late? What's wrong with me just showing up right before the race? And we're saying your actions always speak louder than words. Mm-hmm. Like you can say, I want to be fast. I want to be fast, you know. But then at the end of the day, are you willing to put in the work to become faster? And that diligence shows whether it's in the classroom or outside of the classroom on the race course and training. Like it's it's showing, I guess in every aspect of your life. And to us, we want to really see that on a daily basis at practice um, or even in races, obviously. Mm-hmm. So is these attributes something that you learned when you were like in high school? Because you said you started when you were 12 and middle school and high school. And where were you at that time? Where Were you living in New York? Uh, yeah, I went to uh, Southside Middle School and Lockwell Center on Long Island. Um, and then Southside High School. Um, I would say I had... Two different coaches. Mm-hmm. My cross country coach and my spring track coach in high school were the same. And then my winter track coach was different. And my cross country coach showed me what not to do as a coach. But then my winter track coach showed me exactly what to do as a coach. I love the statement. Uh, I actually said this to an old employer of mine many, many years ago when I left the company. And he was like, you know, good luck with everything. He's like, I bet you learned a lot here. And I just said, yeah, I learned how not to do things. <laughs> it, was yeah. like, it was like a little bit of that backhanded compliment. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's hard um, to say, because like in high school, in the, uh, in the moment, I didn't really realize how detrimental my coach, my cross country coach was to me. Um, I didn't realize how much he affected me until years later. But then I also think back about my winter track coach and how much he really did inspire me Mm -hmm. and really made me want to work hard for him, not just myself and how, how difficult it must've been to unify like close to a hundred kids at a time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now going through it now, it makes me look back and think, oh my God, I can't believe some of the things that my coach said to me. Um, my like cross country coach said to me, um, yeah. And I can't ever imagine sometimes those things to my kids. Right. And that wears on you. It's kind of like the frog in the water. It's not necessarily that it's like, oh, if the frog jumps in the boy in the water, it jumps out. If you put the frog in and you slowly turn up the heat, it doesn't know to get out. And a lot of times coaches just slowly get into your head and you don't even realize it. And it takes a while to actually unwind that what has happened. We had a uh, Caitlin DeBello on one of the episodes and she was talking about carrying the burden of the cross country team and the pressure that the coach would put on her. You got to score the points. You have to do this. And then they're not being supportive of her. And it took her years. And she's a fantastic runner. She's achieved so much. But it's just a bad coach can make 
the difference in your life. It's not just running. It's that something that can have that long-term damage where you're like, why am I this way even outside of running? And it's something that just seep into your head. So then looking back on the, the positive things that your coach would say and taking that into your running career, did you like, have you consistently run through an entire or did you end up like, you know, after college or something? Because a lot of times people might take a break from running and then find their way back into running. So did would have you been running nonstop or did you take a break? So that's really interesting that you just mentioned that story about how um, she didn't realize how much her coach affected her mm-hmm. um, and how much she carried that around with her. So my junior year of spring track, um, I remember doing drills like knee highs on the track. And my coach told me that I needed to lose weight. Oh. Um, and I guess I had, um, you know, it's junior year. Junior year is the most stressful. I was doing SATs. I was on a dance team. I was doing track. I was working as a cashier. Um, I was a student um, <laughs> um, and a teenage girl. And I remember that day thinking, oh, my God, I have to lose. I have to lose weight. I have to lose a lot of weight. Um, and that definitely affected me with... I guess running and also just my eating in general for mm-hmm. like years and years to come. Um, and he also just was extremely competitive. All he really cared about was winning and that was really stressful. And so pretty much after high school, I stopped running competitively for close to a decade. Um, after I left high school, I ran consistently. I, I think that there hasn't been a week since then that I didn't run, but I would just do easy runs. I was like, okay, I'm not doing speed training. I'm not doing long runs. I'm just going to run to de-stress. And I think it was because he had developed this kind of associ- this negative association with racing in, like within me mm-hmm. and like just built up this stress and this anxiety that I was like, all right, I don't want to do this anymore. So then I just stopped running competitively. Um, and just kind of ran just easy runs up until I, I want to say my second year coaching. Um, working with the kids is so inspiring. These kids are commuting, some of them, like an hour to school one way on the subway. And then they come to school, they do the grind, and then they go to office hours to get work done. And then they go to practice for like an hour, hour and a half. And then they get home at like 7, 8 p.m. And then they do their homework. Um, and just seeing their work ethic and their diligence and how much effort they put into the sport, it's just like running alongside them really did just mm-hmm. inspire me and make me think, you know what? There is fun in this. There's so much, there is some joy and that can come out of this. And so they were the ones that really, really inspired me to run again. And I remember my second year coaching um, I signed up for like, um, it was like a hot cocoa classic in uh, Central Park where you run a race and you run like a 10K and you get like a hot cup of hot mm-hmm. cocoa at the end. <laughs> and um, since then, I remember thinking like, wow, that was exhilarating. That was so much fun. And it's like negative five degrees. <laughs> I can't feel my body, but this is awesome. Um, and it was enough. like, you can't run fast enough to get to the hot cocoa. Oh my God. Yeah, seriously. PR. And it was like, Oh my God. I remember just thinking this is so cold, but um, it was so painful. I couldn't feel my fingers, but um, that was, it wasn't until coaching that I 
I was able to finally fall in love with running again. And, and it takes a while. Are you familiar with Mary Kane's story uh, with Nike that she discussed last year? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I yeah, mean, absolutely. it's like, you know, you need to be thinner. They were publicly shaming her, wanted to yeah, put her body on. body shaming yeah. her, weighing her in front of her teammates. Like yeah. the fact that they all went through that. And the fact that they were able to get away with that is horrifying. She was saying, if I remember correctly, it was like he was going to give her like birth control pills and diuretics. And I guess like certain diuretics, you, you aren't allowed to have them in track and field. No, but there's no way to, I believe, test them because it's mm-hmm. not technically doping. I mean, again, it's these type of pressures that are put on people from coaches. And like you said, like how they got away with it for so long. So, no, that yeah. definitely Nike was put under the microscope for that. So finding love in running and getting that spark back and the enjoyment. Talk about like maybe it's like some of the like the run clubs like you're involved in. I, I know like Run for All Women is a great organization and they do a lot of good for the running community and diversity is very important. So, you know, can you can you talk a little bit about that then? Um yeah, the reason why I decided to join Run for all women. Um, at the time, I'm, I'm no longer an ambassador now, but at the time it was mainly because they really seek to empower women through fitness. Mm-hmm. And I, in spite of what happened with my coach, I remember when I first ran when I was 12 and tried out for the cross country. Um, it really made me feel confident. The fact that I felt like, okay, I challenged myself. I did something that was really difficult and I didn't die and feel amazing was something that really felt empowering to me and made me feel a better sense of self-worth. And so I feel like running is a beautiful philosophy of life in that way. Is that like, yes, um, sometimes you're going to train your butt off and you're going to run really fast and hard as much as you can, but you still might not PR. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't worth it anyway. And that doesn't mean that you didn't learn something from that race anyway. And so I, I, ever, after like every race, we always have the kids reflect, you know, what went well, what didn't go well, what can you learn from the experience? And in spite of the fact that maybe you didn't get what you wanted, that doesn't mean that it was a waste of time. There's always something. And I felt, and I always feel that that's what's so beautiful about running is that you can find it as a de-stressor. You can find it as what's like providing you confidence, a way of like just finding clarity in some way, or just feeling strong just in general. Mm-hmm. Um but the reason why I chose to uh, join Run for All Women is also because I felt that because of my experiences with my coaches, both being male, and yes, my winner, my winner track coach was uh, incredible. Um, but my negative, some of my negative experiences, like sometimes I questioned, um, what if I had had a female coach? Would it have been different? And um, when I look at the numbers, at least a few years ago, only like 11% of coaches in America were women. Right. And I, I was just saw an is, article that was talking about the need for more female coaches. Yeah, because there's a different level of empathy. We understand how our body function. Um, and I think that that really influences um, training, um, how we would respond to, okay, you know, there's something going on emotionally at uh, this time. Um, there's something going on physically at this time. Okay, well, what injuries do you have? Even like the injuries that women get from comparison to male to females are mm-hmm. different. Um, a lot of women have issues with um, like teletendinitis or their hips because their hips are wider. Um, a lot more issues with IT dance. And that's just because biologically we are just built differently. And I just felt that 
there needed to be not just women, but also just women of color. Um, I grew up in a low-income household, um, and I didn't get, like, the awesome racing shoes that everyone else got. Mm-hmm. I got one pair of shoes every year. That was it. And those that one pair of shoes, they were my walking shoes. They were my running shoes. Um, they were my racing shoes. And that was a little bit isolating, but I didn't feel comfortable going to my coach about it. And she would say, like, well, you need different shoes. Like, you can't just, like, complain that you're having feet problems if you have those shoes. And I, I can't just, I couldn't just say, well, like my mom already bought me my shoes for the year. I can't, I can't go home and get another pair. Right. And at, um, that, age, it's, at that age, you're, you're almost terrified to stand up to a coach or explain it, or you might be embarrassed. And it's like, they aren't understanding your situation. There's no empathy there. There was no empathy in any shape or form. And that was something that I didn't realize until later on. Because you know, I was a teenager, and yeah, it is embarrassing. To, like, and I didn't want people to know, like, oh, you know, I we don't have the money. I didn't want to like go around telling people that. Obviously, no one's going to like market that. Um, and so I wanted to kind of bring this awareness to people that having not just female coaches is really important, but also just coaches of color, people who are from different backgrounds, different classes. They don't even just have to be. Um, um, I guess for me personally, I was like, I, I never really saw a lot of Asian women running, but that's also a cultural difference too. A lot of traditional Asians don't, um, Asian women don't see sports as feminine. And that was something I always struggled with because I always loved sports. But then the fact that it made me a little bit more mus- muscular also made me feel a little self-conscious. Um, and so that was something I kind of internally battled with, whereas now I do see a lot of like Asian women on Instagram, for example, who are out there running, they're running fast and they're building strength because everyone realizes now strength training is really important for injury prevention. And that's something that I wish I had had when I was younger. And so part of what motivates me, cause like coaching while being a mom and a teacher with like grading and like planning lessons and like thinking about how to differentiate lessons to help support the ver- like the various levels and needs of kids. Doing all that while coaching is really difficult. Mm-hmm. And I have considered at times, like, can I really do this? But then at the end of the day, after every practice, I always remember and realize how much I love this. But then also I look down at my kids and I see how much how important it is for a lot of my girls to see me, just even physically. Um, a lot of my kids watched me run and train throughout my entire pregnancy. And I remember thinking, like, should I be, can I continue? But then my, my doctor kept saying, well, why can't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. So I did. I just, I trained pretty much up until the day that I had the baby, pretty much. Yeah. Right. I coached up until then too. Yeah. And it's, you know, just being a positive role model for your children and, and for your team, your students. And it sounds to me, it's not like a burden to you. It sounds like it actually energizes you. That makes you want to do better and you want to inspire others to do better. It's such a great positive vibe. I love the vibe that you're giving off. It's like this great positive energy about like, you know, let's have diversity. Let's get more people involved. Let's have empathy. Let's support each other. So I want to go back. We were talking about like you took a little time off from running and I want to talk about training and running uh, while pregnant. But one of the things that we always like to touch upon on the show is what did you find as your worst race? And talk about like, you know, what you learned from it. So what, what would you consider that was your worst race? And what did you take away out of that? Um, back, I'm trying to think of my worst race and it was really back in high school. The first time I ever raced varsity, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, I was a freshman 
And I remember it was towards the end of the season and my coach didn't really prepare me. He just kind of, it was in cross country and he walked up to me and just goes, you're running varsity. <laughs> and I was, I was terrified. I was like, Oh my God, can I keep this pace? What's going to happen? Um, and everything went wrong. I went out way too hard. Um, I was the last one to finish. There was no one around me. <laughs> And they were pretty much like cleaning up by the time I'd gone there <laughs> because I had just went out way, way, way too hard. Mm. Um, and I remember being kind of mortified from that. I was like, oh, man, I was not prepared for this. And that was when I realized more so it was mental competition um, because I obviously earned a spot on varsity. So I obviously had the time. Um, but I think that that pressure and that panic is because like, I, when I finished, I was like, what just happened? I just ran my worst race. I, I just ran my worst race. How did that happen? And that was when I really started kind of understand a little bit more of like the mental aspect of sports. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was my worst race, but it definitely taught me one of the biggest lessons, which is sports is equally mental as much as it is physical. Right. Even like when going into distance and or say like marathon training and when you get up to the start line at marathon, that's 80% mental. At that point, if you follow that training program, your body's ready. It's just more about those last 10 kilometers. It's after mile 20. It's just being able to push through those barriers and you can find that you have so much more and you can dig deeper. And and I, I think, is it something that the coach might've been like, well, we're just going to throw you in with the wolves at that point. It's like, all right, you're doing varsity knowing that is what might happen. And it's that learning from having the feet put to the fire in essence. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is. I've never ran a marathon yet, but I am running the New York city marathon. this year. Oh, fantastic. So, you're in. Yeah. Um, I do feel that maybe the reflecting on this horrible race is really good for me right now <laughs> um, because it is, like you said, it is 80% mental. And that's why it's so interesting that people are like, how come race pace is so different? Mm -hmm. And it is because all of a sudden you realize you have this adrenaline, you have something in you that's like, okay, you did everything that you trained so hard for this, now do it. Now show yourself what you have. And I think that that's what's, that's always so interesting because no matter, and obviously you don't really want, especially in training during speed work, you don't really want to perfectly hit that race pace every right. single time, mm -hmm. especially if you're doing it like intense reps. But the fact that you have this ability to run so much faster in a race is like just showing you, okay, now that you've tapered, now that you've done the training, now let's show you what you got. And it's amazing. Well, as a three-time New York City marathoner, I can tell you, and especially going back to what you're saying is don't go out too fast. You're going to hear that so much because when you start on that bridge, it's an entirely different mental world. It is, you're on cloud nine. You're like, I'm doing this. And especially for your first time. And then you're like, you're running on this bridge and with just, it's quiet, except for all the people around you that the fellow runners and then you have a little uphill so that keeps you legit but then you have this mile downhill and then you come downhill and you go right into Bay Ridge and the two sides come together and then 4th Avenue is just a block party well the entire marathon is a giant block party but Bay Ridge that whole area is insanely energetic and New York City is an unforgiving marathon that if you do go out too fast you are going to feel that once you start going up First 
Avenue once you get into the Bronx and then once you come back to Fifth Avenue. So definitely just enjoy it, take it in and then work on your race pace later on. That's my, that, that's yeah, what I can yeah. suggest enough for that. So don't make it your don't make it your worst race again. So then let, let's flip the script and let's talk about what your best race is. Okay. So, um, it wasn't a PR, but my favorite and best race was when I ran, I believe it was 20 to 21 weeks pregnant. And it was the New York Roadrunner Staten Island half marathon in mm-hmm. 2018. Um, and I remember thinking that I, I, at that point in my pregnancy, I didn't even think I'd be running. Um, but I, cause it was my first, it is my first pregnancy. I, I haven't had a second kid, but it was my first pregnancy. And and I didn't really know what it would be like. And, but my dog was excruciatingly supportive. She was just amazing. And she just said, um, and science actually proves this, that um, the level of fitness that you are at when you're pregnant, you can maintain. Mm-hmm. But you can't, you shouldn't go beyond that because that's where you can put yourself in danger. Because it's like your body is used to being in that recovery from that level of fitness, but then training to become stronger than that is actually not going to allow you to produce a life while also recover properly. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, and I had been half marathon training before that. So then I thought, okay, I'll just keep running. I'll keep running. I didn't know my bladder would be able to handle it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I was like, okay, I guess like I'm going to do this. This is going to be fun. And I went out. It was a beautiful, crisp fall day. It was nice and cold and it was the perfect temperature for me. Um, I ran in like a tank top wearing my run for all women tank top and shorts and I paced it fairly well. Um, when you're running pregnant, you should keep your heart rate at like a certain rate. And like there are studies that are saying that that's incorrect. There are studies that continue to support that it is correct, but I didn't want to kind of play with danger in that way. So right. I was like, okay, if I can keep a conversation, like if I can talk, then it's a safe pace. And I didn't think I'd break two hours. I did. I ran a nine-minute mile pace, and I ran it in like 157.50. And I did it all completely with my son and my sonic. And I remember um, I held, like I had to go to the bathroom because there's so much mm-hmm. pressure on her bladder right. that I literally like ran through the finish, kept running, grabbed the um, medal, and kept running straight to the porta potty. Give me my medal. Where's the porta potty? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just didn't stop and just ran directly to the porta potties and like went to the bathroom, relieved my like relieved the pressure, and then came out like, oh my God, I did it. <laughs> and um it was so much fun. And I remember to check to see if my pace was okay, I would talk to myself and I would talk to my because if I can talk like and keep a conversation going, then it was fine. So I talked to my son and be like, hey, how you doing, buddy? Oh, you're doing okay? Okay, that's good. And I just check in just to talk. And um, that was something that I, I don't think I'll ever forget. That was a lot of fun. And it's like, all right, kick once if you're okay. Kick twice if we're going too fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, when you said it, it's like, you're, you're like, oh, what's my fastest pace? And you're like, yeah, I, it was a sub two half marathon at 22 weeks pregnant. I mean, right there, that's amazing. I'm. I, it took me a few half marathons to sub two and I wasn't carrying any babies with me. <laughs> <laughs> 
it was a very unique experience for me. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. And because, you know, I will never understand or experience any of this. So what would you say, I guess, what, what kind of tips would you have for mothers-to-be, expecting mothers or women that are thinking about getting pregnant and they want to be able to continue running and training? I think that there's a lot of stigma towards women who are either trying to get pregnant or are pregnant and they go running. Because yes, there is the danger um, that you'll fall. And falling while pregnant is extremely scary. Um, but during the first three months, actually, if you fall, your baby hasn't grown enough for there to be any effect. So during the first three months, when it comes to, I guess, falling, you're actually fine and you're safe. Um, the hard part is running through like the nausea because you, mm. your hormones are multiplying three times every single day. Um, and your body is trying to become accustomed to a foreign being inside. And so the nausea and the, the exhaustion is a little bit difficult to overcome. But um, I've read through various studies um, that actually have shown that actually staying healthy and fit and exercising throughout pregnancy is actually extremely healthy for the baby, helping the uh, blood flow really kind of helps uh, making sure that your body is producing those endorphins and serotonin is equally as good for the baby. Um, it also kind of just keeps mom happy as well. Um, keeps mom happy and healthy as well. And, and it's like, yeah, and also exactly. the oxygenated blood flow. So that's like even more. Right. Exactly. And, um, and I don't know if this is why, but um, everybody, including at daycare, my parents, they're like, your son is so happy. Like he is like the happiest baby I've ever met. The only reason why he cries is if he has a dirty diaper. I'm sorry, if he sleep, he doesn't even cry if he has a dirty diaper. Is if he's sleepy or if he's hungry. And part of me does think that producing that level of serotonin and endorphins yeah. and keeping myself happy really did kind of influence his development in my womb. Um, and so when it comes to any advice, I would say that women just like should really listen to their bodies. If they feel like, okay, this is too much, then just kill it back. And I know that when women aren't pregnant or like, I know that when runners aren't pregnant, um, male or female, obviously, <laughs> um, it's hard to kind of cut back when you love running so much. Mm -hmm. But when you're pregnant, since there's another life at stake, I would say I had much better control about keeping myself in check. Right. Like if I felt like, okay, this is too much while I was pregnant, if I thought this is too much, I would actually kill it back and be like, okay. Whereas when I, in the past, when I wasn't pregnant, if I thought, oh, I might get injured, I would still kind of do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, like, I wanted to get the long run in. I wanted to get the speed workout in. Um, but with, when I got pregnant, it was much easier to control that. Um, and honestly, when you're pregnant, you can't run fast enough at all to be worried about falling. Honestly, it's a, there was a certain point where like I was probably walking with a bounce. And so like, I couldn't imagine actually falling because I was running so slowly. Um, and when it comes to just certain things, I remember I no longer could run at night because there was just a higher risk of tripping. So there were just certain things that I just had to be more aware of. Um, when I would strength train, I lifted much lighter because you can't, there's like, you can't put a certain amount of weight on your stomach um, or just on your body in general. So I remember when I would do squats with weights, I just lifted just a lot lighter. 
and like little things. And then eventually my belly got so big that I didn't need to hold weights because my belly was just so much weight anyway. <laughs> you can just, do, you, you can just do squats and you're like, yeah, <laughs> you're already getting the extra weight there while you're doing the squats. Yeah, exactly. And I actually also added Pilates because um, Pilates helped with the recovery because um, your belly actually prevents blood flow to your to your legs. And that's why a lot of women, when they're pregnant, their legs get swollen. Um, and Pilates kind of helped stretch everything out, get all the lactic acid out, and it really relieved a lot of the pressure on my legs um, and helped a lot with recovery. So I kind of, I've never done Pilates in the past, um, but that was one thing that I did include towards the last three months of my pregnancy. And that helped, um, that's helped tremendously. This is fantastic because these are the things men will never go through and don't understand. There's so much that goes into it. And for women that are expecting or they're worried about it, I mean, this is such amazing information. And for me, it's like just eye-opening. So gels then, like, did you have to change on gels or because like some like caffeinated, was that a concern or did the doctor say anything about the type of gels that you were using? Um, so one thing I did have to stop, I did stop um, like taking like any um, kind of like supplements where I wasn't really sure about the ingredients. Um, and so I kind of just ate more simple things like gummy, like gummies, mm-hmm. like the sugar gummies um, or like honey packets, the things that I felt like were a little bit more organic. Um, with caffeine, it's safe to have um, 100 milligrams of caffeine a day, which is actually kind of, for me personally, um, I am not a coffee drinker. I drink tea only because I'm fairly sensitive to caffeine. So if I just had like a cup of tea, I was like zooming through and I was fine. Um, but yes, you there is there are studies that show like just too much caffeine is not good for the baby. So they do recommend um, 100 milligrams of caffeine maximum a day. Um, and with the gels, I, my doctor never really said anything, but I just felt that, um, putting less chemicals was actually better. And so I was like, well, there's other ways of getting easy carbs. So I just kind of stuck with like gummy bears and like honey packets. And then that was more than enough. Yeah, that was fine. I keep it more simple and, you know, honey, it's natural and the sugar's there. So postpartum then, did you have to take time off and how was that coming back if you did take any kind of period of time off and your body adapting now and you have this wonderful happy child because your child sub to their first half marathon so how was your body going back into running postpartum so um i was really lucky um there's this um stomach issue after pregnancy called diastasis recti yeah sorry diastasis recti that is a lot to say um and yeah, sorry, I'm <laughs> like trying to say three times fast. Diastasis <laughs> um, recti, which means that your uh, core muscles actually tore apart from your stomach growing so quickly. Um, and so, a lot of women, when that happens, they need to have to they have to kind of do a lot of physical therapy, or they just have to wait for their stomach muscles to um, heal back together again. Um, I was lucky in that that never happened to me. And the way that you can test it is um, you take two fingers and kind of put it in the middle of your stomach where your core kind of splits in half. And if you can fit two or more fingers um, in that area, that means that there was a tear. Whereas if it's less, then that means that there was no tear and it's just kind of stretched out a little bit during your pregnancy. And so that is something that I got lucky with. And so I was able to kind of, um, I mean, obviously the first month 
um, the doctors recommend not to do anything. And I can't really imagine a lot of women being physically able to. Mm -hmm. um, your body just went through an extreme amount of trauma. Um, and trying to, it's like rapidly losing hormones. It is um, sort of losing, I mean, like to be very graphic, losing like the baby's house. Um, so you're, you're like, you're going through so much change and it's healing. It's trying to heal so many things at the same time that um, I wouldn't, I couldn't imagine ever really doing anything um, fitness related for the first month. Um, what I will say is that because I stayed fairly physically fit um, throughout my pregnancy, I do feel, and my doctor told me this, my friends have told me this, that my recovery was actually fairly fast. And my doctor thinks it's because since I exercise regularly, my body is consistently always in kind of a like a state of recovery. Mm -hmm, yeah. And that that actually helped with recovery from the pregnancy because my since my body was already accustomed to being in a state of recovery that I was able to recover faster. So then my second month and third month, I actually did this thing called um, Fitness Blender, which is a free sort of uh, fitness website that's on YouTube and they have their own website. You just have to kind of like register to be on their website and you get access to all their workout videos. So I did like an ab, I did an ab program um, to try and get my score back, um, my core strength back because I lost all of it. <laughs> like you can't do any core work right. while you're mm. pregnant. Uh, <laughs> you can try, but it doesn't, there's nothing that's going to happen. <laughs> um, and so my first, uh, my second and third month postpartum, I just did like a core workout, um, a core workout program, um, for those two months. And honestly, the first few months, I just focused on just gaining back any kind of strength. Right. Um, and your body is more prone to injury because you're um, relaxing, which is a hormone that your body produces during pregnancy, and it takes about a year for it to leave your body. The relaxin is a hormone that keeps your muscles and tendons and joints really loose so that when you push out the baby, it's easier and like you're like everything's relaxed. The problem with that is that when you try and work out and exercise on that, with that in your body, you actually are more prone to injury as well. And I remember my first time trying to run, I got the, all I did was like step slightly like awkwardly on the sidewalk and mm -hmm. I tweaked and I couldn't walk. Oh, and I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was like, Oh my God. And then I iced it and I kept it elevated and it was fine. Like the next day, but in the moment it was like excruciating and I didn't, and then I understood, I was like, okay, so this thing with relaxing is actually real. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not like it's not like a because it was the most bizarre injury I've ever had. Um, and so that was when I realized, okay, I really need to strength train, really need to take it slowly. And then um, around the fifth and sixth month postpartum, I like slowly increased my mileage. Would run like easy runs, like one day a week, and then two days a week, and then three days a week. And then I was eventually able to. Um, yeah, pretty much get back to like half marathon training by September. Oh, right on. Yeah. And there's still more to that. Like postpartum is in, and I ran with uh, one of my friends from the New York city marathon last year and it was her first race back since giving birth. And then we were trying to meet up in the village and she just texted me. I have to get pumped. So she had to go to the first aid and just like, you know, you don't even think about these things. You know, we're, we're open talking and I'm like, yeah, you'll probably pass me anyway. She's like, yeah, but you'll catch up to me because I'll probably have to go to the bathroom like 10 times. So it's like your <laughs> yeah. entire body is just like, you know, <laughs> 
is a mess in, in essence, like you said, this traumatic experience and it's like trying to heal itself. But there's so many things that we just don't understand. And like, you know, we, we don't know about. Yeah. And what's insane. And like a lot of people don't know this, but, um, is when you are breastfeeding, it actually, at least for me personally, it took more calories to produce milk than it did to create a life. Like I ate more while I was breastfeeding and pumping than I did throughout my entire pregnancy. And I couldn't believe it. And so when thinking about like running and like trying to run and trying to like work out and trying to strength train while also trying to produce milk was like, just like such an insane physical experience in itself. <laughs> and you can't then, and therefore you shouldn't go into a caloric deficit. So it's not even about trying to like, you, you can't like try to lose weight because you need those calories. You need positive net for the milk. Is that, is that a correct yeah. statement? Yeah, absolutely. Because um, if you don't get enough calories, your milk production goes down. It like crashes and it's fairly rapid. It's not like, oh, it'll take a day or two. It's like, no, like if you didn't eat enough that day, by the time it's night, you're not, you can barely like fill a bottle. Um, and you need that, um, obviously. So you really do have to kind of like upkeep and like eat a lot, but then also eat healthily because you're passing on everything through your breast milk. And so, yeah, that was definitely something that I learned fairly early on. Um, and also just like those hunger cues. I remember thinking like, I can't believe I'm, like, I'm hungry again. I'm hungry again. <laughs> I'm eating all the time now. <laughs> and, I like, and I was like, oh yeah, okay, this makes sense. Yes, okay, I get this now. And I feel your friend's pain. I remember I was, I um, went back, my maternity leave was uh, March, April, May. I went back in June and I coached the last like month and a half of our outdoor track team. Um, and I had to always email the the location of the races. Hey, I'm pumping. I need to. I need a location to pump. Um, and some public schools don't have a pumping room. The pumping room is the janitor's closet, and you're like standing there awkwardly next to like the mop and the sink, <laughs> and you're just like, all right, I guess this is happening. And you're just kind of like, do do do. Well, I hope I don't miss the four by two. Um, and you're just like, you have, you have to do it. And um, by law, they must be accommodating. And they were. Um, but yeah, it is. It's really difficult. Um, and returning to work um, in September, I remember thinking, can I continue pumping and working? And it just wasn't possible. Um, I couldn't use all my free periods to pump. Mm -hmm. um, it just like you need time to prep. You need the time to like kind of just take a breath from teaching and just kind of check out for a minute or get caught up on emails or do grading. Um, and um, it, it's like, it felt like another part-time job within my full-time job. And so pretty much come September, I stopped. I had to stop. And at that point, it's a part-time job. I'm telling your full-time job of teaching and on top of your full-time job of being a coach and on top of a full-time job of being a new mother. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All the layers. <laughs> All of the jobs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then what is next for you? What's next on the agenda? So um, I am still kind of trying to regain my fitness right now from postpartum. And so I have the, uh, I believe, Cherry Tree 10, uh, 10 miler coming mm -hmm. up in Prospect Park. I'm registered for the New York City Marathon because I was actually signed up for last year, but since I was pregnant, um, I got like a doctor of notes and um, I was able to get a guaranteed entry into this year doing the New York City Marathon, the Brooklyn Half. And those are 
two half marathons that I'm training for. So I'm using the New York City half. And it was at this precise moment when Peter realized the phone line went dead. We will now return to the conversation. So you're doing the half marathon and that's going to give you a sense of where you are for the marathon? Yeah, yeah. I'm doing, well, I'm doing the New York City Marathon um, just to see where my current fitness level is. Um, And then that's going to help me figure out what my goal pace is for the Brooklyn Half Marathon. (laughs) Um, But I am aiming to try and PR um, for my half marathon time at the Brooklyn Half. Um, But I feel like that's actually going to give me a sense of what I can do in the New York City Marathon in November, which I'm really excited about. I've never ran a marathon before um, and I'm from New York. So this is kind of like my home state. And um, I've been there and cheered on a lot of my friends before, um, but I'm really excited to be one of the individuals who gets to actually run in it now. Yeah, it's really hard to describe. I mean, it's the experience and every runner will have their own unique experience, their own story, their own reasons for doing it. And that's the beauty of it. You'll find that you might just bump into people that you know on the mile seven, you'll bump into somebody like, hey, what are you doing? It's like, oh, just running a marathon, you know, no biggie. (laughs) And then you won't see them again, or you might, they might pass you or you might pass them at mile 17, but there's no way to describe without just doing it, what the New York city marathon's about. It's, it's the giant block party. Uh, soak it in. I like to say for the first one is to go for your goal, but also soak it in, like really take the sounds, look around from time to time. And that's also a good way to check in on yourself, get a grasp of the situation that's around you and check in with your body and enjoy that minute. And then you can say, okay, now I'm going to go push it up Bedford Avenue. Uh, The other thing is the Queensboro Bridge becomes Zen. That is your check-in place because there's no crowd on the bridge. It's just runners. You just hear feet hitting the pavement and you get to check in with yourself for a good mile and then you come up first avenue and then the then the party starts again yeah yeah oh this sounds so exciting i'm really really excited about it i'm really looking forward to it so this is fantastic uh i mean this is inspiration and so eye-opening just hearing what a mother has to go through and everything involved being pregnant and running and training it's amazing what women go through and come out at the end and just like yeah and let's keep going we're going back to running it's just amazing thank you so much for sharing the stories you know i i hope we get to bump into each other at some race maybe i'll see you at the marathon yeah. and then yeah. finally like any parting words is there something that you'd want to say to the listeners out there? Um, I guess the only thing that I would love to say about running is that if you're new to it, just try it. Um, and it could be at any pace. It could be at a walk with a bounce. But I think that you'll find that it is a life-changing experience and that the thoughts that go through your head while running really show a lot about you. Um, and sometimes it's what you need to work on. Um, and sometimes it's the motivator that's really going to push you to finish the run. But at the end of the day, um, if you don't love it anymore, maybe just take a step back. But um, if you are a runner out there, then you probably do know, um, I guess, the incredible life-changing experience that it brings on a daily basis. That is fantastic. And we're going to wrap it on that. It's been an absolute pleasure and congratulations to your continued success and achievement. So thank you so much and have a great night. It's great talking. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good one. Okay. Bye. Bye. That's it for this week. Thank you for tuning in. 
Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and feel free to share with your fellow runners. If you'd like to be a guest on our program, you can apply on our website, storiesfromtherun.com. Because every runner has a story, we'd like to hear yours. Until next time, may the rain stay in Spain and the wind be at your backs. Peace.